One out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Autobot Podcast. My name is Justin Viber. I'm joined as always by Chad Young and Niv Shaw. Uh, we continue our positional preview series with Outfield. Uh, lots to discuss, but we're going to try to keep it neat and tidy today. Um, let's start off, normally we start talking about studs, but I think uh, there's not a whole lot to talk about. Trout's the clear number one. Um, but let's talk about strategy at the outfield position. Um, Chad, why don't you kick us off? Do you have any any specific thoughts on on how you approach the outfield position in Ottawa? Yeah, I mean, I think part of the reason so part of the reason we're talking about strategy first is because you said that there's a clear top tier, there's a clear number one, there's a clear top tier, and if you start going through the top and working your way down, there's so many outfield players to talk about, um, and so. For me, what that translates to is because there's so many options. Uh, I rarely play in that that top tier, top tier. Um, I I've, I don't often roster Trout. I don't think I've ever rostered a Bellinger or a Yelich. Um, I might have owned a Yelich like five or six years ago when he was a Marlin and not not the guy he is today. Uh, but I, I like to I like to play in that second tier and that sort of like thirty dollar ish range um, where you start to see sort of a judge or a Giancarlo Stanton. Um, Joey Gallo is a little below that. Um, a Chris Bryant, like guys like that, who I just think you can get enough production there. And from the middle, spending on a bunch of 15 to 30 to 40, maybe dollar outfielders, uh, having three or four of those, I think is important. Um, I really like to have a roster set up where I, where I feel good about a couple of guys and you know, three, four guys that I'm plugging in. And then play around in the depths with platoons, backups from other spots, um, things like that to try to fill out what I need. Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. I think like there's a couple things to remember about um, Auto New. Like there are five outfield slots, and um, it, it's 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 easy to get behind on your games cap in outfield. It's easy to get behind. Uh, pace there and outfield right now is so productive and outfield is always a pretty productive position like you're always going to have opportunities for just uh gross production in in your top outfield one outfield two so you know you really want to have a lot of depth at outfield so uh again like we're skipping over the top guys because everyone knows the top guys are we're hoping to help you guys find some more like people in the the chat range or lower that can fill that out but the goal here is to make sure you have enough depth and enough ability to like fill out all your outfield plate appearances because it turns out uh games and plate appearance at outfield are hard to catch up on and uh can be really productive and like productive in a way that like maybe middle infield isn't right like middle infield yeah, you I don't think, want to I think sing- the hard the hard to well, catch ahead. up on is an underrated because I think people think like, oh, there's five spots. I can make sure I'm starting five every day. But the reality is to fill that up, you need to 
be like the, the assumption on a full season. I'm trying to think. Actually, let's look at this season. This season, there's 66 days in the season. There's 60 games per team, which means each guy has six off days. Uh, which means that for each of your top, your five, let's th- say your five theoretical starters, you have six days during the season to make up for a game that they miss or something with right. someone else. Um, there aren't that many opportunities to do that, and and I think. I, I've fallen prey to this before, which is like, oh, I'm 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 up on all of my games except for outfield. That's fine. I have time to make up outfield. And like, there's some truth to that, but you can make up like five to ten games maybe over the second half of a regular season. Uh, you can probably make up, you know, if you fall behind in the first half of this season, you might be able to make up three, four games, something like that. But I find it really difficult to actually make those games up. One of the things we were talking about yesterday in Auto News Slack was. Uh like it's sort of speaking to the trap, the the challenge of catching up outfield is we were sort of joking around about how many games somebody played Michael Lorenzen, who's obviously a relief pitcher with outfield eligibility now for the Reds and how many games he got played in the outfield. And we found a team that had to play him the entire second half last year just to catch up on games. And if, I mean, like that's not a situation you want to find yourself in. Like Michael Lorenzen's a super fun player and like, uh, really exciting uh, uh, sort of multi-position eligibility and in real life, like, great, great, great fun to root for. Um, and also, like, a good a good relief pitcher. I- I'm not sure you really want to have him as your outfield five permanently <laughs> for two months. And and we had some, we like, I found someone who had to do that last year. And, like, you know, I'm sure there's a ton of examples like that. I'm sure, you know, those of you who are listening can think of outfielders that you had to slot in that you're just, like, Man, I just needed the I just needed the plate appearances. I just needed the games, and like you don't want to find yourself in that situation, um, in and especially in a sixty game season. Like Chad makes a really good point. Like this is the year where it'll just it's unforgiving, and um, you know when we we sort of thematically have talked about like you don't want to carry fringe guys, you don't want to carry prospects that are two years out, and this is why the outfield is exactly from in my mind. Outfield and relief pitcher are the two positions that like are why you cannot hold uh, this year's number one pick or whatever. You can't, you know, hold uh, um, like got recent signed draft picks. Yeah, I and and I would say that like in looking in in the years that I've done the the auto new power rankings, um, I you know I look a lot at standings in leagues and I look a lot at the teams and how they're pacing as far as filling their their games and, and innings caps. And to me, like my experience in looking at all those leagues is that outfield is always the spot that teams, even the good teams, even the teams that are leading their league are running short at at outfield, filling their outfield games. So, I mean, in a points league, unlike a roto league, any production, any start you get is better than no start, presumably. I mean, unless they put up a negative four, but in general, you're going to at least get a couple points per game that you put somebody in the lineup. Um, so filling your games cap is critical. We've talked about that before, but outfield, especially because that's the one place you're really going to have a, have a problem as, as, as Niv and Chad said, catching up if you get behind. And, and I think in many respects, the strategy then is I'm much more willing to own a player who's not really a very good hitter, but he's always in the lineup because like a Kevin Kiermaier, for example, for example, at outfield, I would roster a guy like that much more than I would roster him at any other position in Onanu because just having a dependable guy that you know you can always slot in if you need that game that day 
it, there's value in that. And, and, and even if he only puts up three points a game, which is below replacement level, but it's still three points is better than zero points if you never make up that game. Yeah, I think that brings up an interesting point. Though. I was talking before we started about how in, in League One, I realized I, I only have uh, seven healthy outfielders on my roster, um, two of whom are Dominic Smith, who doesn't really have a job, and Scott Kingery, who I really don't want to be relying on for outfield plate appearances. Um, part of that is a, is a this season thing. So I have Austin Meadows is supposed to be one of my studs on that team, and he's on the COVID IL now. And so... Like that's going to happen this year in ways obviously it hasn't in the past. Um, the other thing, though, that as I'm thinking about this, I'm I'm, I'm realizing because my I started our conversation before this by saying to Justin that I need to make a trade because I, I got to find an outfielder somewhere because I don't have enough there. Uh, making up those games and filling that games played cap really really matters in points. It is less important in roto. Um, and I think, you know, in four by four, you've got half counting stats, half rate stats, um, half counting stats is enough that you can't just ignore the position. Like I think, you know, in a, in a regular season, you get 810 outfield games. If you hit 700, you're in trouble. Um, but if you don't hit 810, if you're at 790, you could very easily still win your league because you could, you know, what you lose in those 20 games of home runs and, and runs, you can make up for by not having put up a bunch of, you know, even one for fours that hurt your on-base and slugging. Uh, that doesn't, you know, in points, that's not an option. Points, you've got to hit those games caps. I think in Roto, you have a little bit more flex there. Um, which doesn't change the fact that I only have seven healthy outfielders and two of them are not viable options and I need to find one, but it makes me feel a little better about it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'll push back a little bit, Chad, just to be like, I agree with you. It's not as important, but that's mostly because points, it is imperative. It is the number one most important thing. Roto is more forgiving than points on that, but that doesn't, and that's a trap that like just the flip side of that is that's a trap I've fallen into where I'm like, oh, I'm playing Roto, and I have good averages here. But when you fall fall back on runs, like fall, catching up on runs is really hard. And you really want to be competitive, or, or home runs, obviously. But um, runs is something that like I think aligns a little bit more with playing time in a more natural way. And I think, um, you know, you really want to be competitive on on three three roto categories in a four by four on offense. Like you can, you can kind of say one of them is okay to get away from, but like they're really, really intertwined together. And especially in a four by four with, with, uh, with runs uh, and on base and slugging, like it's, it's hard. And yeah, I don't want anyone who, I don't want anyone to think that like, Oh, it's okay. Like whatever, I'll have good on base and slugging. Well, you're not gonna, you're not gonna win your league. With. Yeah, and in, and in roto leagues too. Like if you are running behind pace and in those counting categories, and you're looking at your standings, in order to catch up, you're going to hurt your rate, your rate categories to get there. I mean, you just are. You're you're gonna your average is gonna go down. You're on base. You're by slugging. You know, in the four by four leagues, right? Exactly, because you're gonna have to start pressing more guys that hit 250 and get on base three, you know, have a 300 on base, but they steal some bases or whatever, you know, whatever, or get runs or they play. in the case of four by four, or they're just right. They're just in the lineup to give you the, the counting stats you might need. But um, that's another thing to keep in mind is that if you are running behind pace, even in a roto league, you have to understand that your rate 
performance is going to get hurt in order to catch up on counting stats. So, yeah, this so, is gonna, so actually, I was I was looking at our standings from League One from last year, Niv, because I was like, when you started to say like, I think it's more, like, you're basically saying it's more important than I'm suggesting in Roto, and I was like, oh, let me go look this up and see what it is. Uh, the two teams that finished first and second in our league last year hit their games cap at every position. Right. All 810 outfield, all 162 everywhere else. The teams that were tied for third didn't. The team, one of them uh, left uh, like 14 games at second base, two games at first base, five at shortstop, 16 at middle infield, two at third base, seven in the outfield, and then, three in the And then how many runs? And that, how many? That, so say that team was also uh, five home runs away from one more point, 12 home runs away from two more points. That team was um, 29 runs away from another runs point, but there's enough games in there that had they filled those. Now, who knows what it would have done to their rates? And I haven't quite looked at that, but they left three, four points on the table in runs and in home right. runs. And at that late in the season, your on-base percentage isn't going to move quite as much as your runs or home runs can. Your slugging percentage isn't going to move quite as much. They tied for third. They were only five points out of second. Um, the other team that was, was in that same boat uh, left... 50 games in the outfield on the table, as well as a smattering of games yeah. elsewhere. Um, and that team also, like, they weren't going to make up any ground in home runs. They were second in home runs and had nowhere to go there. Uh, but they were fifth, fifth from the bottom in runs. And, you know, another 20, 25 runs might have made a big difference for them. 60 outfield games will get you those runs, right? 60 outfield games will probably get you 40 yeah, that's, runs, something that's like that. that's a non-trivial amount of outfield, even yeah. with not a particularly great uh, player, even, like, even backfilling, right? I mean, not not Michael Lorenzen only playing one every seven games and pinch hitting, but, like, any starting outfielder, you're going to catch up on that. Yeah, they left, um, they left a good three, four points on the table as well. So either one of those teams could have individually captured third instead of being tied for it, or may have been able to pass the second place team just by filling out their games. So I'm going to use this opportunity to uh, to remind everyone and tout uh, the auto-eject uh, switch this year. Um, not not something to rely on 100% of the time, but as a reminder, on your lineups page in AutoNew, you'll be able to uh, basically turn a switch on that if a position player, Major League Baseball position player, is not starting in their Major League Baseball game, they will be moved to your bench at the time at the moment of lock. So rather than being locked into your lineup at outfield, uh, they will be moved to your bench. And uh, given my light review of the major league baseball schedule uh there will be you know we're remaining with a smattering of start times over the course of the day and uh you'll be able to if you have an outfielder who is sitting because we're going to have a high variance in playing time this year as we've talked about uh on many episodes if you have an if you have an outfielder that's sitting um you can go in later, and if you have a guy starting on the West Coast, you have a guy starting in Mountain Time, be able to uh, pop him in and replace him without having to constantly check your lineup page. I think that's going to be super important this year with 60-game season. I think it'll be great going forward, obviously, as well. But this is a, a cool opportunity to see if we can um, help solve leaving games on the table uh, without requiring people to be to, to do the Justin Vibber that I've seen in person have 11 alarms set over the course of a day so he can uh, check his lineup at every single um, at every single potential Major League Baseball start time. 
So just just a, a quick little shout out to myself for building that shit, and uh, <laughs> hopefully hopefully it's useful, and I'm hoping that you know you guys find some value in it. But um, when we're talking about outfield, I think that's like this is this is the reason to build that feature. This is the reason that people want this feature. This is the reason that like like Chad just pointed out, like money is won and lost, and like uh, position in in the final standings is won and lost uh, just because you aren't able to find um, outfield games. So, so I think that's just the main thing I want to emphasize when we talk about strategy is like, if you think you have enough outfielders, you don't. <laughs> well, so, so that, 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 that's a segue that I, for a real quick discussion, like how many do you want to own? Like for me in a, in a normal year, I probably would say eight or nine, you know, probably nine more than eight, but in a season like this, like I might want to own at least 10 to make sure it, you know, and that maybe that's not just only outfielders, but it combination of those multi-eligible guys that have outfield eligibility i probably want like 10 i have, have outfield eligibility i have 12 guys with outfield eligibility in my league one team right now and i focused on it this year because yeah um before i mean before obviously um all this stuff hit we we, we did our draft in february on leap day so um i thought there was gonna be a full season and i just i focused on it because one um, I'm always behind on outfield games. And I was like, not this year, Niv. You're going to actually catch it this year. But then two, the other thing, and I think it's it's really worth pointing out, there's trade value to like every outfielder down the stretch. Um, guys who are playing regularly, if they have jobs, um, it's sort of what we're talking about. You're comparing yourself against the waiver wire, against who's a free agent and a 48-hour auction and all that stuff. And not only that, like unlike some other positions where if, if another team has a stud or two, they're basically not they're, they're not getting any improvement by trading for somebody else but outfield with with five lineup spots any outfield you have is probably an improvement for some team in your my, you get their my fourth outfield, or fifth slot or whatever you know if my outfield 2 is not as good as your outfield 2 he's still your outfield 5 right he's still your outfield 4 exactly and 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 from my perspective like i'm in this sort of middle place where i'm not sure if i'm going to be competing or not and I wanted to make sure I didn't miss outfield games early, and I wanted to have the optionality for trading um, guys. Like I don't know, like it's not super exciting guys, and it's sort of like the theme again, like not super exciting guys, but in season with player acquisition, you want the guy who's getting uh, five starts a week, right? You don't want like, and if you're in competing, if you're in second place and you're trying to catch someone, I can definitely offer you an out, uh, an outfield upgrade. Like that's a guarantee. Yeah, I think uh, looking at my my rosters, I've got um, across five auto new teams. I have fifty five total uh, roster spots that have eligibility, have a player with eligibility in the outfield. They might have eligibility elsewhere too, but it have eligibility in the outfield. Uh, there are thirty nine distinct players, unique players across those teams. I, it, it, I think it does. There's two interesting points there. One is. Uh, 55, so that works out to 11 per team, but I already mentioned that in League One, I only have like six or seven. And so I am sitting at 11, 12 in most of my leagues, and I'm worried about the league where I'm not. Um, I don't think, though, that that's, you know, 11, 12 outfielders, guys I am expecting to play in the outfield on a regular basis. It's 11, right. to, it, it's it's maybe seven guys who are outfielders, and then four or five guys who I probably will play somewhere else. I might split somewhere else. Um, but they're going to get some time in the outfield as well. Uh, the other thing, though, that I think is interesting about that that list of that I came up with when I found the 39 different players, like 
that's a lot of different players. Like when we've talked, we talked about second base. I talked about how I own Moustakis on, you know, I think three teams or something like that. He's my starting second baseman in most cases. Um, at the outfield, I'm really diversified. And I think it speaks to the depth of the position that I feel like, and this gets back, I, I think, to why I don't spend on outfielders, right? I don't need to spend on Yelich because there's 10 or 12 guys a tier down who I can end up with two of instead of one Yelich and be very happy. And then the next tier down is 30 guys, and I can end up with four of them and be really happy. Um and so all of a sudden, I end up with really diverse uh, arrays of talent across my outfields in different leagues. Um, and I think of myself as someone who, like, I've got my favorites. I go after them. I target them. I end up with you know shares in multiple leagues because of that. Um, but it doesn't happen in the outfield. It, like, I only have – I have two players – uh, two outfield eligible players across those 39 individual players who I own in three leagues. I have no one in four, no one in five. Uh, the only two I have across three are Justin Upton and Dominic Smith. Um, and then I've got a handful of guys that I have in two. Um, but like, there's yeah, just a I lot of options. There's just there. a lot of options. I think that's like, that's exactly right. I think um, as you go, as we go through and maybe we can start talking about our sleepers now, uh, we we just have you just have so many different ways of putting together an outfield and um yeah i mean i i don't think there's i i will say this is the first year that i went out and spent money on an outfielder in in the auction draft and that's because uh i positioned myself to need one big massive offensive producer uh from either first base or outfield and harper was the one that i ended up uh, pulling, but and and that's like a perfectly fine strategy, right? Like orient your team for two years so that you have a giant chunk so you can pay over retail for a power hitter. Which uh, in League One, everyone in auction is well over retail. So like the the top tier guys, so you can do that. But but I mean, you go down through the list and like it's exactly what Chad said. If you want to spend. 25 to 30 dollars and no more than that you can put together a really really productive outfield i think i also think from a, from a draft perspective outfield's an easy position especially in in, in non-first year drafts it's an easy position to flex right so if i need a third base i'm in my, my fourth year of my league i need a third baseman i might have a choice between arenado and a bunch of like low tier questionable third baseman because there's nobody else available because everyone else got capped. And if that's the case, I'm going to spend for Arenado because I want that meaningful bat. That's never the case in the outfield. You might only have one Yelich or one Trout or something like that available, but you're not going from that to like, oh man, I don't know if I want these guys on my roster. Right, you're going right. from that to dozens of guys who you'd be totally okay with. And so I often find myself in a, in a situation like what, what Niv's talking about where he went into this year. He needed a first baseman or he needed an outfielder. He just needed a big power bat. He could have gone either way. He happened to go outfield this year. When I find myself in those cases, more often than not, I end up pivoting away from outfield because my second choice in the outfield is often still good enough or better than my than my second choice might be at first base or third base or somewhere else. Yeah, I would have loved to have done that, but uh, my first baseman targets were snagged. So <laughs> you, you were thwarted. No, no it plan. Happens. No plan survives the punch <laughs> in the face. You know. Um, right. So let's talk about sleepers. Uh, uh, Justin, who do you got? Well, and and 
it's interesting to me because I feel like at outfield more than any other position, like there, there are obviously a handful of guys that I really like and I find myself owning on a lot of teams, but there's also, because there is so much depth, I feel like there's even more of those sort of uh, un- overlooked and, and underappreciated outfielders. Like to me, the first name I have on here is, is Randall Grichik and he's not exciting, but he's an average salary in first year Fangraph points league of just under $2. And I've got him worth $8 on the surplus calculator. So he's not exciting. Believe me, not exciting. But for two bucks to, to, to help you fill out your, your outfield games for a guy who's going to play and, and will be productive enough that you're getting value out of that $2, right? I'll, I'll take that. Um, the other guy I have listed here is a guy I've liked for a long time. Um, I'm sure Chad and Niv will agree. Domingo Santana. Um, he's a guy, again, he's also, I don't know, he's only a $2 guy too. I was surprised that he was that low in first year Fangraph points league. Yeah, his first year price he's, is two, just, and his average is is that a playing four. time concern for him? I mean, but he's I think it's a little bit like he's he's been sort of up and down, right? He struggled, then he was had that great year, and then he's been sort of okay. Um, but I do think I actually think the playing time concerns for him uh, they don't matter are, as much now, right? In, no, in Cleveland, I think, I, I think they're understated. Actually, um, I think that. Like if you look at what's been going on in Cleveland, uh, Daniel Johnson and Bradley Zimmer have had huge camps. They've been crushing the pitching in camp, and the pitching in the Indians camp is not a joke. It's like, good pitching, yeah. Right. Bra- Bradley Zimmer had three home runs in two days, and the first two were off Mike Clevenger, right? And so now it's two home runs off Mike Clevenger in a intra squad game. Like I'm not going to assume you know Zimmer is not suddenly the same prospect he once was, but the Indians all of a sudden like. You know, they've got some decisions to make about their future. Like Bobby Bradley needs some time, and if he gets time, that that eats up DH because Santana's not going anywhere yet. Um, and then you've got so you've got Bradley needing time, you've got Johnson needing time, you've got Zimmer needing time, you've got Mercado and Domingo and Fran Mill and Luplo in the outfield. You've and got Bowers Jake Bowers needing there. time, yeah. right? Uh, Kai Tom, who's not a prospect but has but had a great year in AAA last year. At some point, someone's got to see what he can do. Um, I think there's real playing time concerns for Domingo, I, and they'll be fine if he hits. But if he has a bad week or two to start the season, there are guys yeah. banging down the door to take his job. Well, I think, and, and I think it, that's I think that's why the price is where it's sitting uh, right now. I think you know you named a lot of players there, Chad, and I know all those players, but. They're not guys who are block. It is sort of my argument about Segura that we talked about a few a few episodes ago. Um, these aren't guys that are going to block him if he hits. And your point is exactly right. If Santana, he's going to get the chance, and that's undeniable. He's going to he's going to get first ch- uh, chance at it. And if he hits, uh, no one is pushing him off a starting position in that outfield. Now. He is still Domingo Santana. <laughs> well, and, 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 and I was going to say, like, between him and Fran Mill both, like, you've got a couple defensively challenged outfielders that... That is a nice way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> and that does matter, right? Like, we talk about, sometimes we talk about, like, in fantasy baseball, that defense doesn't score you anything. But in a way, it does, because these guys that... that that don't play good defense are going to get their playing time affected. So, and then the uh, the flip side is true as well. The the guys that are Gold Glove winners, they're going to get their run. They're going to play, and they're going to work out their hitting issues if they have them. Um, so, I think that's another underrated aspect of, of choosing players is that Certainly sometimes you want to yeah. give a tiebreaker to somebody who who's going to be on the you know he's going to be in the lineup more often because he's going to be able to play the field. Yeah, I, mean, I, think- um, I still like Domingo for for two dollars. I'm willing to take that bet. 
Um, because I do think that there's still potential in that bat that he's been, he's shown it in the past and, and, and the last couple of years haven't been great, but, um, I think he still could, could become a, a secondary breakout guy, but cause he's still only 27 years old or almost 28. Um, so the, the, the other name I wanted to mention real quick as well is Sutsugo for the Rays, the, the, the guy that came over from, from Japan this year that they signed, um, I think that he's been overlooked a little bit. I think it's it's weird because I feel like in some years these these imports from MPB get a lot of hype and they go for way more than they should. And then sometimes it's the opposite. And and he's a guy where I feel like he's gone for five dollars in first year Fangraph Points League. I think he's a ten dollar outfielder. Um, and I think he's he's definitely a starting option in any league where where you won't, where he's rostered. So. Um, he's a guy I like a lot. And I think there's a lot of variance in that, but obviously for anybody who hasn't played in major league baseball, you, you don't know exactly the projections are going to say one thing, but there's a lot of variance built into that. Um, but I, I, I think the translations from these foreign leagues into major league baseball are pretty solid at this point. So I'm willing to place bets on, on that translating here and in, in, into major league baseball this year for the Rays, but of course he's got a playing time issue too because the Rays are just stacked with with bats yeah we've talked about that a little bit they just have so many different lineup configurations that make sense that it's it's challenging to to rely on someone for like a lockdown outfield three out of that group yeah, I think it makes sense. I, 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 I don't, I haven't even really bid on him anywhere. I don't think, but I think it's oh, and, I'm you know, probably missing out. <laughs> and I just realized I didn't, I didn't even realize this, but roster resources plugging him in at at uh, leadoff. So yeah. if, he, if he's leading off in the games he starts, that in points leagues that gives you a little bit of a bump too, because accumulating extra plate appearances in starts makes a big difference. So yeah, that, in, in four by four as well, because in four by four without for runs. one of the things that you lose is RBIs. So you don't yeah. need to be later in the lineup, right? Five by five, you've got to balance that. You got to figure out like if all of my guys are leadoff guys, I'm going to have zero RBIs. It's never going to work. Um, you don't have to worry about that in four by four. And, and that actually goes right into one of, one of the guys I really like is, is Austin Hayes. Um, who was, I feel like, pretty hyped up a couple of years ago, um, but looks like he's likely to be the leadoff hitter in in Baltimore this year, should have a full-time job. Um, the hype is sort of worn off, and so the price is down in the 2 to $3 range. Um, and I think he's got enough skills. There's, there's enough breakout potential there that he could do some really good stuff. And even if he doesn't, he's going to get enough plate appearances to be really valuable on a per-game basis. Yeah, I... I think that's right. Um, I, I have Jesse Winker written here, uh, who, uh, like, obviously the, the DH helps the Reds um, and hopefully helps him. Um, obviously, he, like, so he hasn't really had success from one side of the, like, against one, um, I forget which platoon, but he's like a platoony type, type of hitter. And uh, so this is a situation where he's he's running like six bucks and you maybe want to be selective about when you play him based on matchups. But um, I think, you know, Winker's going to get a chance this year. And um, I think that's, and like, there will be, I mean, I don't know. The Reds do have like seven outfielders that could all DH or whatever. They have like some sort of ridiculous outfield depth that they're going to have to figure out, but they still do have like Winker. He's on the top of that list. Right. So like when we're thinking about guys who are like Santana sort of falls in this mold of like, there will be playing time for them this year. Uh, that maybe didn't exist 
prior like that's someone that i'm i'm interested in 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 sniffing around yeah the, the the good news for him by the way just to interject real quick is he's a lefty so he's got the strong side platoon right. advantage so right it's it's a two-thirds rather than a one-thirds and then there's split. like some thought that maybe he actually can hit lefties like in that that like has he even got enough at bats against him he's, uh, he's only got 147 plate appearances in his career against lefties so yeah, yeah i think at least that's he like the Jock enough. Peterson thing too, right? Like, yeah, yeah, very, very similar. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like I with Winker, I feel this way with Jock too. By the way, they've shown enough that I'm not, I'm not going to use them against lefties. However, if their teams do and they start to show something different, it could significantly change their value for future years, right? And so I think that's the beauty with someone like Winker is you pay if if his average value or his average salary right now is six bucks in first year leagues, so you pay six, even eight, nine bucks for him. You use him as a platoon guy and maybe get $10, $11 of value. And if the Reds don't strictly platoon him and he shows he can hit lefties, his projections next year will be in the $20 range. Yeah, you have a $20 right? player, right? a platoon right. guy, he might be a $12 player, but you've only paid the six or whatever you paid for, which is great. But there's a lot of upside there if he can solve lefties. And, and I think that's like... I think people underrate that, especially with young guys who are platoon guys. They're like, oh, he's just a platoon bat. I can only use him part of the time. But like... Maybe he's not. And as long as you're only paying for the part of the time you're using that player, who cares that they're a platoon guy? That's to- It's really valuable. Um, and then you've got the potential to get a lot more. Another name on the list that I'm a little cautious to bring up with this group. Um, I think... I, I don't know if you could call him a sleeper, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it anyway. I think Nomar Mazzara could be really interesting this year. Um, I'm holding him at... $11 due to my uh, fanatical attempt to add outfielders uh, in League One, but he's going for a lot less than that, I think. Uh, his average across all leagues is 11, but in new leagues, he's going for like four or five, I think. Yeah, that, yeah. And um, you got a change of scenery. He's still super young. Like, I don't. Man, the hype around Mazzara has been, uh, you know, everyone's waiting for a huge breakout. He's still only 25. Uh, change of scenery to me is pretty interesting working with the hitting coach in Chicago now instead of in Texas and and I like change of scenery guys in general I think that's like um, especially when you're young like you can get into bad habits in a place you get a a fresh start and I know that stuff sounds a little like pre-money ball like the scouts that Brad Pitt fires kind of crap but but I think there's something to it, man. I mean, like, I remember what you were when you were 25 years old. Like, that, there, there's a lot going on. You've been hyped as a baseball player for five years in Texas. And uh, now you get a place where, like, you're playing with younger with a younger team. You're, you're maybe one of the older guys on that team, frankly. And, uh, you know, you get a chance to sort of, like, re, re, reinvent uh, yourself in the mold that you want to be. Um, at Mazzara, you know, he shows some of the tools that we want to see from outfielders. If you can snag him in, like that mid single digit uh high single digit range it, it's one of those things where worst case scenario he is trade value in the way that we talked about your outfield three is someone else's outfield five a better team's outfield five um and best case scenario he's uh like a a, a 15 20 player next year like going into next year if he can if he can finally show us putting something together the other thing i i, I just want to say real quick um before before Maya Mazzara, uh, you know, hard eyes are popped by these two, is that, uh, is that you know, this is also a sink or swim, I think, price at anywhere from 5 to 10. 
that's a sink or swim price for a guy like Mazar. Next year, he's either a dollar player or you have surplus. And that's just sort of the way it is. I think Gavin Lux, who I mentioned in um, the last couple middle infield podcasts, is sort of the same kind of thing in that he's been priced up due to his starting starting role in, in the do- on the Dodgers. And there's going to be a reset around him if he doesn't if he doesn't live up to it. And if he does live up to it, there's like even if you have him at the average ten dollar price, there's surplus. There will be surplus. So so to me, it's it's a good bet for the sort of sink or swim like that mid tier price. And um, and yeah, and I like the change of scenery. I think that's that's a narrative I can latch on to. I don't love latching on to narratives, but this is one that I that I do kind of like. I think the the thing, I mean, to Mazzara, I think that the, cha- the I have challenges and I have things I like about him. The, the challenge I have is uh, the first year leagues his average his average salary is around six dollars, yeah, not sure. four or five, and that six dollars is above where depth charts projections would value him based on surplus calculator and my own projections and stuff. Like, I, I just think he he projects out to be like a three to four or five, maybe $5 player. So you're paying for that projection um, and maybe even a little above. So you're paying for a little bit of that potential breakout. I, I still think he has breakout potential beyond that. And so I get it, but I, I do think that's the one challenge I have with him is he's not a guy where I'm like, oh, he's an $8 player who I can get for four who might turn out to be 15 or 20. Um, right. He's he's a $4 player who I have okay. to pay six to see what I can get. Um, the other thing, though, the, the, the thing I like, though, is you're getting really valuable floor with him, right? I mean, you look at his last, uh, really his last four seasons, um, his his four seasons that exist, and his his on-base percentage has ranged as low as 317 and as high as 323. His slugging has gone from a low of 419 up to a high of 469, Um your your depth charts projections is a 313 on base 454 slugging which is right in the middle of all that he's got 20 20 20 and 19 home runs the last 4 years like right the the downside here is like i think you're paying for the your your that uh that depth chart projection that's pegging him as a $4 player that's the floor Right, and so when you're paying six dollars, like, and it's and it's the floor because to me, he either is what he is or he's going to break out. And yes, there's always a possibility he just falls off a cliff or something like that. But like, he's a 25 year old who's been incredibly consistent for four straight years. I'm going to be, I'm pretty comfortable assuming I'm going to get what I'm going to get from him, and that it's not going to get worse. One one other additional piece of interesting context, I think, is that the bat now has a secondary version of their projections, the bat X that takes into account stat cast information. And so the bat projection for Mazar is a 328 weighted on base, but the bat X using the stat cast information is a 341. Right. So, so his stat cast, you know, uh, information is implying that he's, he's actually should have hit better than he did last year um, with a 327. And when we talk about like sort of, the things that are exciting about Mazzara, like Statcast, is a big component of that, right? Like his his expected uh, expected stats versus his actual stats. He was just an unlucky dude in some respects last year, and and that's always exciting, right? Like uh, like when you when you find something like that where someone's hitting the ball hard um, and has just been a little bit unlucky. Uh, you can be excited. I think you can allow yourself to be excited about that. For me, that's what I'm allowing. Like, I, I think Chad, I traded uh, you. I traded with you to get him last year, and and for me, that was like I know I'm paying above retail in a sense, 
but also I'm 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 paying I'm I'm making a a, a bet for him and. And you know, I think with this, now that we're in a sixty-game season, that bet is a little bit even more exciting because with the high variance and everything, like just do it over sixty games, man, and and you could be a really interesting asset uh, on my team next year in terms of uh, locking down outfield three or or being a really interesting trade piece. So I want to talk. I'd like to talk about a guy who's some sort of a, a different direction, right? So Mazar is a guy who. Um, there's been this hype. He's still paid a little bit above what you maybe expect to get from him, but there's there's breakout potential there. There's another guy who I've got on my list who, from a, from a first-year league, his average salary is just over $2. Uh, when I go into uh, Surplus Calculator, his, his projected value in a points league is $6.20. Um, and then I go and I look at his projections, and they, they seem even low to me. And, I, and that guy is Eric Thames. And I'm I'm super curious. Like this guy hit 25 home runs in effectively a part-time role last year with with a 354 woba. Um, he is projected that six dollar projection on him is assuming a 341 woba based on depth charts, which is exactly at his career average. Except his career average includes two years in 2011 and 12, which, as far as I'm concerned, are are worthless in terms of projecting him and are because he was a different player back then. And so, like, why is he only going for two dollars? What am I missing? And why do I not have him on all of my rosters? That's the price. Because it just seems crazy to me. This guy, like, is it just because people don't realize that the Nationals actually have no depth and need everybody to play every right, day? I mean, or it's like, the thing we talked about. Uh, it's literally the thing we talked about, right? Yeah. Like, like the national situation entirely transformed with Ryan Zimmerman opting out. Uh, and... And the DH, you know, the, the addition DH of the DH because yeah. he can he can play DH there. And, and you know. Thames moves from being a part-time first baseman to a full-time everyday player for the Nationals, right? Like that's that's a hundred percent true. That's not, and we we talked about that in terms of uh, middle infield with Howie Kendrick, I Howie believe. Kendrick, yeah. And and yeah, it's the exact same thing. Like, and I think that's right. I mean, I think like that that's one of those things you just have to track and. Uh, put together like two found positions for the Nationals. That entire lineup has more value in its depth now, other than Ryan Zimmerman, who unfortunately is not going to be playing this year. And, and and Thames is also a big platoon guy. Like he's really not useful at all against left-handers. But so what? You're still getting a two-thirds platoon advantage. And at outfield, you need those guys sometimes. The back end of your your outfield mix, you need guys that. Um, you know, our, our no-brainer starts, but he's only going to start when he plays against right-handers. Well, that's fine. You know, I'll take that all day. Yeah, I just I just find it so interesting that, like, you look at Mazzara, who seems like a guy that, that a lot of the projections – there's a lot of projections saying he's going to have a career year, basically. Like, he's projected better than his career numbers, but he and he's paid slightly above those numbers, uh, paid slightly above those projections even – and I still think there's breakout potential there. I get it. And then you look at Thames, who's projected to be below what he's done in his recent career and is paid even below that. And it's just like, it, it, it's, it's just it's fascinating just, to me. It, it's just age bias, right? It's got to be. Yeah. It's got to be. I think auto the, players it, don't want to own 33 year old part time, you know, more face types. Yeah. Like, I, more I egregious, also, more egregious, I think, even than the price. He's only rostered on two thirds of leagues. He's not rostered. He's still a free agent in, in a third of leagues. Time yeah. to go look at my leagues. That is, I mean, he's he's four dollars. Uh, 
one he's he's rostered for four dollars in in our league one but yeah i think you should look at him and i mean i guess now you can i can just scroll down here and see there's this nice fancy thing you put on all the player pages yeah that, that really helps he is owned yeah, in all he, of my leagues yeah he's ah, he's he's they're... rostered in in leagues where people are paying attention but 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 like look if you're listening to this and he's a free agent worth checking out uh because yeah. again not rostered in a third of leagues that's crazy like a lot of players are rostered in 97% of leagues now. Like a lot of drafts have already completed. A lot of teams have been in their like preseason 48 hour auction cycle for a little while now. So um, I'm, I'm actually shocked that like 97% is what you see for, for like trout and those high end guys. And so I'm not saying he should be at 97%, but, but, but 30% off like where the top guys are. That seems crazy to me, especially at, at a $2, $3 price point. Yeah. I, I agree. I think he's, and it's weird because it's one of those situations, and I really think that's what it comes down to is is that a lot of people when they're when they're auctioning and they're owning player like they're rostering players that excite them, you know that that now when he came back over from from Korea, he had that excitement, right? There was a little bit of hype, and it's I mean the dude's ripped, and he's a f- absolutely fun player to to root for, but um, I think some of that shine is is, is off now yeah, at I, this point and maybe it shouldn't be and maybe you know he's got a little bit of if he gets regular playing time this year he could do a lot of damage my speculation is that there are leagues that forgot or haven't put together that he is going to play more than he was projected to play i imagine his roster resource situation his depth chart projections have his playing his plate appearances have just increased since zimmerman opted out and and the rules were finalized and i think like this is just a classic one of those. I don't think it's anything more than that. I think it, like it makes sense to me in a world in which Zimmerman's playing and there is no DH. It doesn't guys, make sense to me in the world that we live in now. Yeah. Do you guys read uh, Jeff Zimmerman's Mining the News articles on Fangraphs? Yeah. yeah. I think this is like this conversation is a plug for those articles. Yeah, right. That's right. Like all he does is he goes through and reads reports from all the different teams and says like, Hey, you might want to be aware of this thing and things like with Zimmerman out of the way, Thames is going to have to be an everyday player is the kind of thing that I, that I find. I don't know if he actually wrote that. I'm just guessing, but like I find those kinds of nuggets in those things in the vein of what he'd write. Yeah. Um, I think that kind of like that and either, either actually going and reading Jeff stuff, Jeff's great or, uh, doing that on your own and just reading up about what's going on in teams. Like you pick up these nuggets that like, I, I mean, Thames, like, is he going to single-handedly win you your league? No. But guys like Thames, who you roster for way less than what they produce, um, and he's basically, like, he's free right now. He's, yeah. he's going for two bucks. You can just have him if you want him. And he is a guy who could be, he could, you could end up against righties, plugging him in as your number three outfielder, and be super happy with that. Uh and and your league mates right now are just allowing you to have him is what the average values are telling me. So like being on top of the news and understanding the roster situations uh, is just like it's so valuable because you can you can totally change the complexion of your team with a guy like Thames. Yeah, that's right. Um, do we have any other sleepers? Do we want to move on to bus? Where are we? I, th- I think there's a few other guys that are worth worth mentioning. I'll try to run through mine quickly. Um, I I think. Uh, at the the sort of lower end, cheaper end, um, Dominic Smith is a guy who like 
the Mets are doing everything in their power to bury this guy. And I don't understand why, because I think he is an excellent, excellent hitter. Um, he was fantastic last year. Uh, I, I, it's a question of playing time for him. But if he That's, plays enough, I think your people are going to be thrilled to you're, have him. You're fighting against the advice you just gave, though, in a sense, right? You just gave advice that you know the team situation. Now, would we do? Would we build the Mets lineup differently than what they project the Mets lineup to be? Yeah, of course. We had the same conversation about the Rockies, right? Like, There are teams yeah. that don't build a lineup the way you want them to. Um Dominic Smith, man, he is a he is a hitter that needs to get a chance to be free. It is frustrating. Yeah, I think I think the thing I, I, I you're right. I am somewhat it, it it counteracts what I said before. I think the reality is like you need to look at both sides of things, right? Like Smith is underrated because the Mets are building their lineup in a way I wouldn't necessarily build it, right? If, right, if, right. Um, and so and that can I, change, I right? It, right? Like and that can change. Malleable thing. Ryan Zimmerman has opted out. That is, and the DH is happening this year. Right. And this is a different kind of thing than that. Yeah. And so I think like, to some extent, what I'm saying with Smith is I think in a month, you might read an article that says the Mets are getting frustrated with this player. There's a chance for some guys to get some playing time that weren't before. Like, this is your chance to be out in front of that. Or like when Cespedes, you know, tries to play the outfield and... (laughs) Breaks a leg or something, yeah, right? right? Like all of a sudden, the DH spot might open up, or when the Mets decide they need another starter, and Dominic Smith ends up on a on the trade block. Like, I, I just think there's a ton, a ton of potential in that bat. And the other thing with Smith that's different than Thames is he's young, and so if he gets that trade or if he gets that opportunity, you could end up with a guy you're rostering for years um, because he's he's good enough to do that. Uh, and so I really like him. I, I think there's a couple other guys that are sort of cheap and young that are that are interesting in um, Kyle Lewis, who had put up great surface numbers last year. And I think the underlying numbers scared a lot of people and uh, people stayed away. But he's he's been great in in the M's camp. I mentioned before that Bradley Zimmer's killing it in the, in the Indians camp. And he's a, a post hype guy who um, he's been injured and he's had a really hard time putting the bat on the ball. But I'd. I'd keep an eye on him. Uh, and then Jose Ozuna with the Pirates, who I think just needs an opportunity to see what he can do. Um, all of those guys, like I'm not rostering Zimmer anywhere. Lewis, I think at this point, the, the, there was a lot of talk of him and he had a good enough year last year that if you don't have him, you probably can't get him right now. Um, Ozuna, I'm sort of watching, but I, I rostered him in a couple places, I think, maybe at least one. It's like, there's guys like that that I'm, that I'm paying a close, close attention to because of the fact that I can upgrade my seventh outfielder at any point with someone like that right. and get value from it. Um, a couple quick names that I wanted to, to finish up on my list of sleepers. Um, Alex Verdugo for the Red Sox. I think he's a guy with a lot of talent. Um, given that trade, they're really going to want to showcase him as much as possible. I think he's going to get a lot more run than he was getting in LA. Um, and I think the talent is there. Um, I like him as a top 30 outfielder this year in points leagues, but he's been, um, his average salary is like outfield 45. So you're getting a little bit of value there as well. Um, and then sort of similar to my earlier call out for Domingo Santana is his teammate for Emil Reyes. Uh, he's more expensive. He's, he's a guy that's going for, um, $15, but I think he's a $20 outfielder. And then a cheaper option is Mike Talkman for the Yankees, uh, the Alex Chamberlain favorite there. Um, I do believe in him as well. I don't know if he's going to get playing time necessarily. It looks like roster resource has him on the bench right now, but obviously we know their outfielders have some 
fragility issues. Um, and I think if he gets any playing time again, he can he can produce as well. And it's it's a cheap bet. I, he's he's only a two dollar guy right now in first year leagues. So one other name to throw out in the more in the Verdugo range, he's actually even higher priced than Verdugo, uh, is Max Kepler who I think in everything that happened with the twins last year and all the guys, I mean, they, they had like 18 guys put up career years. Everyone like, broke out. Yeah. I feel like Kepler's got lost. Um, and he's, so he's being, he's, his salary's not low and first year leagues. It's like 14, 15 bucks. He's, he's outfielder number 28 on that list. Um, not including some of the multi-position guys, but like, he was better than that last year, uh, and and whether he will be again or not, I don't know. But I, I think you you're you're probably looking at a guy who's who projects to be a seventeen eighteen dollar guy who last year was maybe a twenty five dollar guy and could repeat that. Who's being paid as a fifteen dollar guy, um, and you know. You're not going to sneak him away from anyone. Niv's got him in League One. I would love to trade for him. He's definitely <laughs> going to give him up. I get nope. it. Uh, but like, if you haven't drafted yet, or if you've got someone who's shopping him, like, I, I think he's undervalued still a little bit. Yeah, I think the power kind of snuck up on people. I think the that's the part that hasn't been because he always had the on base and the the plate discipline, and and I mean, obviously that bat had pop, but I think it had a little bit more pop last year than than people even. And you know, you might you might find some people that just sort of group it in with the 2019 ball, or like I don't know, something was up with the Twins last year, and everyone hit homers, so whatever. Something was up with the Twins last so, year. Oh man, something was really up with the, the Twins last year. The interesting thing for me with Kepler is, as good as he was last year, he he still had a 244 bad uh, BABIP. Yeah, because he just doesn't hit line drives, and if he ever did. Um, and I don't know if that's a launch, launch ankle issue for him or what, but if, if he ever started to improve his, his line drives, he could be a massive breakout beyond that if he if he keeps those power gains. Because um, he was hitting the ball hard last year, Justin, and the plate discipline is really good. You're not helping, Justin. Niv's going to uh, hear this. He's going to never trade him to me. My, my heart <laughs> goes pitter-patter. I've had Kepler for quite a while in that league, and uh, he is very inexpensive for me, so that's a very... Secondary breakout from Justin Bieber is quite the endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know well, about that. Well, <laughs> a potential secondary. The beauty, the, the beauty of Kepler is uh, you're absolutely right. Some of that bat could come back just out of luck, right? Some of it could come back from a slight change in launch angle or whatever it is that's holding him back. It also doesn't matter. Right, he could post a two fifty bat because right, he just did it without. Career, yeah, and yeah, be and just still, fine. Still quite quite useful. Yeah. Um, you guys want to talk about busts? Yeah, let's let's start. I, for me, and and, and I, I, I say this every episode, but I'm just going to keep saying it until I'm blue in the face. Um, it, it's so much about price for me for busts. It's less about I think these guys are going to fall flat on their face. I don't like the price for guys like even Acuna, right? Like he's a top outfield option, absolutely. I don't like the price. I mean, he, his first year average salary is is fifty seven dollars. In, in Fangraphs leagues, that's crazy to me to pay $57 for him, even though that's he a is, a, I mean, he's a stud, but to me, he's a, he's a high forties or mid forties, you know, high thirties dollar stud, not a $57 player. I mean, that's, are there, are there guys below him you would rather have? Like, if you look at those average salaries, I mean, that's, that's that's the thing to me is like, this is why I don't play in the top end of the outfield pool, because I just think the top end of the outfield okay. pool is overpriced in general. Okay, so yes, and I agree with you 100%, but he's going for basically the exact same price as Soto and Bellinger 
in first year Fangraphs points leagues. I would rather. I think each of those are about fifteen dollar better players than Acuna is in Fangraphs. Dollar better player, huh? That, that, I'm that surprised is... by that gap. That's a huge gap to me. Well, maybe I'm being a little hyperbolic, <laughs> but I would clearly prefer Soto and Bellinger to Acuna. Okay. Um, and I agree, but I agree with you too, Chad, that there's not a lot of values to be had there. Uh, JD Martinez is first year price is forty three dollars, and I think he's I think he's a low forties outfielder. So he might be the the only guy in that top range who who I think is is actually priced par ish, right? Yeah. Um, other than I mean, honestly, Trout I think is worth the seventy plus that he has paid, but that's a whole other story that. Um, we might have to do a whole special spinoff episode on on how how much how money is the best player and Mike and, Trout is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, so yes, absolutely, all the outfielders are probably too expensive. But I think he, especially yeah. of that range, um, the price is so, so far I'm, disparate I'm from what back. I think he's worth. I'm going to take back my incredulity at the $15 gap between Soto and Acuna because I just went and pulled them up on Fangraphs, and I, I think you're right. <laughs> so I think I think I think part of it is um, I get caught up in the like Soto versus Acuna as Major League Baseball player, and like you've got right. this super fun outfield rivalry forming in the NL East that could play out for a decade, and it's super exciting. And man, if I were starting a team, which one of those two guys would I want? Uh, if I'm starting a fantasy team, I want Soto. He's a better hitter. Yes, he just is. And and <laughs> and as major league baseball players, I I agree. I mean, there Acuna has has an advantage defensively, and he uh, base running he has an advantage. But those things don't play as much, especially in Fangraphs points. I mean, the fact that he steals bases doesn't really help you much in in points leagues. Five by five, sure, right? It's a different conversation in five by five. But in the points leagues, it, it's such a clear preference for me to have Soto over over Acuna. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. Um, um, the other, real quick, the other bus. Um, I, I also had Aaron Judge on here. I, that's just, I think he's he's banked up again, isn't he? And I mean, he's yeah. had some issues, and the, the talent is is enormous. I mean, it, but it, I just, I, I'm, I've stayed away from him, and he's another guy who I think the gets priced at his at his ceiling rather than his floor. Um, and then Victor Robles for the Nationals. Um, I think we're probably. We being all everybody in Audenew, uh, all the Audenew owners are probably a year or two early on Robles. I think he's a guy who um, his average first year price is twelve dollars right. as as outfield uh, thirty five, and I don't I don't buy it. I don't see it there. I agree. Right, he's incredibly young, and I mean he's more expensive than Verdugo. Yeah, that's which is crazy to me. Yeah, I mean the pure production Verdugo is. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if. Robles is not super compelling at the end of this season. I agree. I think um, look, looking at near the top, I, I, the, the other guys I see near the top who who sort of surprised me. Um, one is is Jordan Alvarez, who I I want to I want to call him a bust or a potential bust because like he just seemed to come so quickly out of nowhere. He was so incredibly good last year, and I just don't believe it's possible that he can maintain that. Um, and yet he's he's getting uh, rostered in first-year leagues at over $30, above Judge, sort of in the Chris Bryant, Aaron Judge range in general. And it just seems like a lot to put on a guy with with half a year of performance and, and sort of mixed product prospect pedigree, given he, he took some time to come around. But then I look at the numbers and, like, I don't see any – like. 
I don't know. I don't see anything there that I'm like, nope, don't want to bet on that. No, like everything I look at, I'm like, man, this guy looks like he's just going to be a stud. He and was so he was I, breathtaking last year. <laughs> I mean, the, the the performance at AAA and in the majors, ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. Niv's got hard eyes for Mazzara. Justin's got his breath taken away by Alvarez. <laughs> well, I, Quite I a romantic episode. Ro- <laughs> it's our Valentine's Day special. Yeah, okay. I, I was saying earlier, like technically, I'm looking at my Fangraphs values on the surplus calculator. And at, at, for the top for the top 10 outfielders, J.D. Martinez and Jordan Alvarez are the only ones that are going within a dollar of what I have their surplus calc dollar value at. Um, so I... And, and I think he might have even underperformed a little bit last year, um, according to StatCast, because I think the StatCast numbers were even better than what he did. So I, I'm all in on him. And I, I agree the sample is concerning. You, you don't want it, to – it's hard to believe after only 87 games last year, but he was so good. And there was prior history in the minors that could at least somewhat justify that performance um, that I think it – this might be a case where he, a lot of people aren't sure, but that that unsureness is going to keep people from buying him when they should be buying him now, because yeah. this might be the only time to do it. Yeah, I think I, I think I messed that up. <laughs> to be honest, I think I probably should have been been in on him more in places where I wasn't. Um, I think at the the other end of that, a guy who I think is more to me more clearly a bust at his is at his price is uh, Benintendi. Um, he's going for almost 20 bucks, 18, 19 bucks, something like that in, in first year leagues. His value is half that, uh, yeah, something like maybe. that. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I just like, I, and I think he's, he's the opposite of, of Alvarez where it's like, everybody is still thinking like, man, this guy had such great minor league performance. Everything was looking up. He was coming up through an organization with a good history of producing guys and he's a super solid player. And he's actually, he is exactly the type of outfielder I want to roster in auto new because he's a eight, nine, 10, 11, maybe $12 player. He's solid. He's going to play every day. You can count him to put up the production he's going to put up. Maybe there's breakout potential to go beyond that. But then everyone's paying him twice what he's worth. And I don't, I don't get it. I do, like, I don't, what's the opposite of a post-hype sleeper? A, the hype has dragged on too long. Bust. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't. We'll have to turn. We'll have to. We'll have to brainstorm and come up with a term. But I mean, I I was stumping hard for him four years ago in 2016. Like, I you know the the minor league performance suggested that he was going to be a guy that could get called up and hit right away, and he did. But it just wasn't. He's a good hitter, but I don't. I, he hasn't been anywhere near elite, and and people are still paying him as if there's still a chance for that, and and maybe there is, but I agree with you, Chad, that it's he's a he's a fine player that I want to own, but I think people are paying too much for it, and maybe they're still wish casting on, you know that 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 idea that people had a few years ago that he could come up and be the next stud outfielder and. I mean, the sample is big enough now that, I mean, is he, is he what he is? I mean, he's a 110, 109 WRC plus in his career. That's good, but it's not anything that I'm going to go crazy after. Um, my one guy uh, is, is George Springer that I, I listed here as a potential bust. And that's, again, price sensitive and uh, ties into sort of our ongoing thematic, which I guess we put aside for, for Mr. Alvarez. Uh <laughs> concern about uh, Astros, right? And yeah. and and how exactly the 
the sign stealing uh, impacted their performance. Uh, Springer last year actually hit better away than home. Um, but I'm just sort of generally concerned about that lineup. And, and not in a, oh no, concern, like that team is going to be good. Uh, but I don't really want to spend the money that is required to get George Springer um, when I think, you know, I, I'm I, I, when I'm looking for gross production, I'm going for uh, Trout, Harper, Betts, you know, like all the way at the top. Or I'm trying to get something in that like Springer range, but probably other players around him because like, I, I just don't know if there's value there, and and I and I'm a little concerned about. I, I just I need to see him do it clean, and I don't. And, and you know, we talked about it with Correa. We talked about it a little bit with Altuve. We talked about it with a few players in that lineup, and uh, I have belief that they can all do it clean. I still just need to see him do it clean. And if you're saying uh, Springer is going for like he's his overall average is in the 30s, and like. He's getting paid like a what top fifteen ish outfielder. Like that's just I mean, like he's good. He's very good. He had a great year last year. He's like um and he, he you know, he's had what two or three really solid years in a row, but I'm just I'm just a little afraid of, of that lineup and and I, I think it's worth just like sort of noting that like when we talk about overall like uh roster construction and and team like real life stuff and how it can impact it, like there's nothing bigger than than stealing signs to impact like that. That's it, right? Other than throwing games, that's that's one of the biggest things you can do to to try to impact performance on the field. And so taking that away, like we're gonna like, we're, right? I mean, short of drugs and 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 gambling, I don't know what else. I don't know what what's left. So I believe in Springer a little bit. I mean, he's also he's 30. He's on the wrong side of 30, and he's, um, you know, I mean, he's just in a lineup that. Is he going to get as many runs as he got before? Is he going to hit for the same amount of power as last year? Like, I'm just a little skeptical that he's worth the $35 price that I think he's going for. Now, you know, one of the themes of this episode has been that there are so many options at the position where if you have any of those questions about a player, you have comparable options that you can that you can slide over and, 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 and choose. Um, I mean, I don't know necessarily share those same concerns. We talked about this when we were talking about guys like Bregman in the past episodes, but I completely, I mean, there are other compelling alternatives if you have those questions about a guy like Springer or, or injury questions about a guy like Judge that I mentioned earlier. There's there's plenty of other options to go after that are completely comparable. So I get it. So, yeah, maybe maybe the way to think about it is, like, if you do have questions and, you know, you can have your own questions for a reason, uh, don't, don't think that you're cornered into an outfielder. Like, you're not cornered into a, a certain set of players. You... If we're looking at this list, I mean, outfield outfield's in a pretty good place right now, and I think there's a lot of fun, and there's there's a lot of not fun players like we talked about Grechuk and stuff, but like there's also there's all kinds of fun ways of of constructing an outfield. I think. So hey. Speaking quickly of fun players who I am now, who are no longer fun, Aristides Aquino in Cincinnati, uh, I like. I didn't really believe in him last year. Then I felt like this year in drafts, he was going lower than I expected. And so I ended up with a with him on one or two rosters. And now he's not on the Reds opening day roster. And this is the Reds 30-man opening day roster where a guy... With, with a DH. Be, like, right, with a <laughs> DH. Who, who you would think they'd be like, hey, he might hit a home run in a key situation as a pinch hitter for us. We might as well just throw him on there. He's not even in that group. Uh, what happened and is... Is he not worth rostering anymore? I don't think he is. 
I mean, maybe as a $1 flyer, you know, if, if you're in a situation where you're not, you're not necessarily competing this year and you want to take a chance on somebody who, who might turn into something like maybe, but even then, like, I don't own him anywhere and I, I had no intention of owning him anywhere. So, I mean, that's, that's my stance on it. I, I just, yeah, it was fun and he did what he did and the power is real, but I think we have to, I mean, don't we have to, don't we have to take in that information that the Reds are telling us he's not <laughs> worth being on our roster? Doesn't that inform some, some priors for us? I, I would think so. And I, 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 you know, I've been trying to think about like, why would that be right? Do the Reds just feel like he's not the right fit? They'd rather have like Irvin out there because they need someone who can do a little bit, you know, some different skill set than, but yeah, I mean, with a 30 man, with a 30 man, I mean, it's just like, right. It's the proof is in the pudding, right? you like, you don't, you don't have to figure it out. Yeah. This is this is this is like a step beyond the Dominic Smith conversation because Dom Smith like that that can evolve as the season goes, but not making the thirty man like that that's that's quite an, an indictment, right? And it's that's, not like it's not like they're like oh let's let him get regular at bats in Triple A. Right, <laughs> there's no Triple A. This so, is have fun in camp, you know, intra squad, <laughs> like yeah. right. And may, and maybe that is it. Maybe for maybe you know the Reds are thinking about camp as as the minor leagues, and they want him playing every day. Maybe, but like man, it's hard to interpret it that way right now. And I look across my leagues, and he's I I have uh, I have him on one roster at two dollars, and I'm torn on what to do with him at two dollars. The other leagues I'm in, he's at five, seven, ten, and twelve dollars. Yeah, I mean it's just it's tracking. It's well, he was tracking kept, late and here. he was kept at those prices, right? Like I understand owning him at the end of last year for those prices, but he was kept at those prices. I don't know. I would have to look. Also, well, I think see. this is also a thing where, like, you know, we're we're in a little bit of a dead zone. We have been for a little while. I think as stuff starts, but he's got to be your first cut. Every single one of those players, other than other than the two dollar one, yeah, I mean, every single other, I could, I could justify. He's maybe your second cut. But the $12 one, he's your first cut. Maybe you're just waiting for someone uh, else to come along on the auction block. But that is that is shocking. The $12 one was acquired via trade in October after being kept at, at 12 He was 10 last year, went up to 12 No, no, no. They, they, so they acquired him in October and then kept him. Sorry, they, they acquired him. Sorry, that's not right. They acqui- he went up to $12 in October when salaries increased. He was acquired in January oh, via at- trade. Okay. And a trade so, that was uh, that $12 Aquino, an $8 Stripling, an $11 Eduardo Rodriguez, and a $6 Hansel Robles for a $17 Trevor Bauer, $8 Yandy Diaz, $3 Isan Diaz, and $7 uh, Will Smith, the catcher, not the relief pitcher or the a actor. Lot of, a lot of ideas in that trade, and I don't really <laughs> want to engage. There's a lot of moving it. around there. <laughs> but man, I mean, yeah, I... I, I would have thought twelve dollars. Like I wouldn't have kept him at that price either. I didn't think he was worth that. Uh, you know, he he's like, he's. It's nice to have a, a guaranteed twelve dollars of fab or whatever. Like it's like it's holding it six. You're not even well, no, to get the twelve well, yeah, now. Somebody gonna pick him up? Because no one's gonna pick him up for six. It's it's holding him until until you know you. It's just like reserving that space. I don't know. I, I don't know, and that's not a great. I mean, yeah. But I think I think this is just a, a straight up like the, if you want to do the you know the Jeff Zimmerman like the the read the news and, and mine it for information. Uh, he's not on the thirty man. I mean, like that's it. That's the end of this of his saga until he's either called up or next season. I mean, we've been we've yeah. been talking about how unwilling we are to pay 
these these very top prospects in baseball in this season that aren't going to get playing time. Aquino's not that. No. And you're still paying him even more than you would those pro- I mean I mean looking at that 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 $12 Aquino like you've got to cut him now, right? No one's yeah. going to pick him up at $6. If you cut him you now, gotta, you start that clock. You get you start the $3 the clock back right later. Away. Yeah. And and again, like we're not shortening the clock this season, so like your 30 days, I mean, that is it's half, half the, the season. You got to just start yeah, yeah, yeah. So just You're only so going to get a couple cycles. Where I've got him for two bucks, I'll sit on him for now. I mean, when I need the space or I need the dollar, I'll cut him. But like, there's no benefit to starting the clock early. And I mean, the, the I guess the other thing to say about him is like, as, as long as he's on my roster, who knows when you know, Senzel and Castianos and Winker are all going to come down with COVID or something, right? And all of a sudden, you know, as a starter, right? So like, I might as well, if you've got him and he's only a buck or two, you might as well sit on him until you need the spot because why not? But if you've got a $10 or a $12... If you can start a clock, if you can start a 30-day 30 30 uh, re-auction and, and start recuperating some of that salary, like, you got to just do that. So speaking of not paying for top prospects... <laughs> Who who are the, who are those top prospects in the outfield? And are there any? I think there actually are some outfield prospects that I am paying for this year. Um, Luis Robert is the one who stands out to yeah, me. Is like he he's got his contract in Chicago. He's going to have a full time job. He's an elite prospect. Um, to me, I treat him. I'm assume I'm not treating him any different than any other full time outfielder. He's an outfielder now, right? Right. right. That's why you treat him. Um, yeah, that's that's the obvious one. I have uh, Kalenich on my roster, uh, who I who I don't know if he's going to get. I mean, I don't think he's going to get playing time this year, but um, he still has like, I mean, top top pedigree. Obviously, Adele. Okay, the he's a guy. The uh, the Mariners. Depoto recently made a you know we got to make sure the time is right kind of thing about right. him, and so um, I think you're right. I think like. In a in a hundred and sixty two game season, I think there was a chance we were going to get a couple this year. Yeah, uh, in sixty, I think they're just going to there's no ride reason, it out. And, no reason to rush it, and, yeah. and I think that's fair. And I still think he's worth rostering at the prices that he's at. Um, obviously, uh, Joe Adele uh, is worth and uh, what I mean. They, they're not going to play him, but they should. Right? That's like the. I mean that's basically the way it is. I think and we see Adele this year. I think it depends a little bit on what the mean, yeah. what the Angels do, but like in a short season, you could easily see the Angels in a position where it's, you know, mid-August. There's still there's only 40 games, 45 games left in the season, and Adele suddenly looks like he could be the difference between them catching the Astros or not. Right. right? And, and like, that's, like the, that's the question is like are they willing and like that's sort of been the open question like before the season even was shortened, uh, Adele in the project, like slotting Adele in and removing some of the less productive bats in that lineup, like I mean, it shows a notable improvement in that lineup, even where he is today without having. And so that's that's been on the table. It's just a question of if the Angels are going to do it. And then um, I'll say Christian Patch as well, who's the Braves outfielder. He's kind of. Uh, He's always on prospect list because of his defense. Like the defense is what leads for him, but his hit tool is getting better and better, and they're starting to see flashes of like a power profile for him. And I think he's worth uh, he's worth snagging uh, in that the Braves uh, obviously need like the Braves outfield situation is a little complicated right now. Is the way I'd say it. Yeah, I, I'm not a Pash fan. I think. Um 
there was a little bit more power. Like his double A appearance last year was a little bit better, but he really struggled when they moved him up to triple A. Um, I, I, I don't, I guess I don't have a lot of faith in the power developing. And I think that's the big question for me right. from a fantasy perspective outside of five by five. Um, Cause he does, he does have some speed. speed. He, yeah. he hasn't stolen a ton. Of, like he didn't see only stole eight bases last year. But actually, no, looking, he's not only did he only say eight bases last year, he got caught 11 times. So maybe he shouldn't be running. Uh, but um, I, I, I'm, you know, his raw power isn't so good. It's, you know, 50 55, which isn't bad. The game power, um, the, the, the scouting on him on fan graphs has him as a 30 today with a 45 potential. I don't know if I think he reaches that 45. And if he doesn't, then I'm just not sure that in like that, outs- that in fan graphs points or four by four, he's that exciting to me. Yeah, I mean, the only argument I would make for him is is something I alluded to earlier, where his defense is so good that yeah. he's he's gonna once he's up, he's gonna play. Yeah. Um, and he'll be able to work out any any hitting improvement he needs to make. Um, but I I don't think he's in the same category as the other names that we've talked about. Oh no no yeah and, I I, I I do think he's worth rostering uh for the reasons that you said and also because there is still sort of like a a second a, a, a real opportunity for a power breakout yeah um but that's that's in the way that you roster prospects because you're 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 a gambling man kind of thing right like it's like right. a le- less than uh the other names we talked about and obviously the biggest name is still sitting here for justin to mention yeah it's the elephant in the room right <laughs> I, I unfortunately julio rodriguez who i am in love with um just fractured his wrist which is not great news. I'm, it's a mourning period for me. But the good news, if there's any silver lining, is that he he fractured his wrist in the exact same wrist last year in April. He missed two months, and then he mashed. And so he kept back, kept back, right, right back at it. Normally, you'd have some concerns about a wrist injury affecting a hitter, especially his power. Um, it didn't seem to bother him last year. Uh, he he was excellent. Um, I still believe in him. We're long-term. really going to say breaking the same wrist in the same place is the listen, good news listen yes because that's what i'm choosing to believe i'm not gonna hear anything to the contrary it, it uh, he, obviously obviously like a super hyped and and to the point where justin you've kind of made him unrosterable uh <laughs> to to I mean, because right, his, his, his price be, now is expensive. He's an yeah, expensive Yeah, I'll player. be honest with you. Like his his average price in first year Fangrass points leagues is almost six dollars. And while I think that's probably pretty close to where I would want to roster him, it's that makes him like the third yeah. highest prospect. And <laughs> you know, and and I think there's going to be a reset on him a little bit next year. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I think there's going to be a lot of those teams that are, so if it's average is six, right? There's a number of teams that own them in 10, 11. Yeah. They're going to be, you're going to be looking at teams that get a 10, 11, $12 J rod next year who hasn't played in a year, uh, who is coming off his second straight year impacted by the same injury to the same wrist. And I think there's going to be a lot of brake pumping that happens over the next six months. Right. And I, I think that may mean there's an opportunity to buy in next year, right? That may end up being a, a good thing if you don't have don't have them on your roster right now. Um, man, this is certainly I don't know. not the time to acquire him. And I but think if we're, I think I'm if, sorry. If I found a team that had like a four dollar Julio Rodriguez. $5, maybe $4, let's go 4 or $5, something in that range, that was willing to trade him to me at 
a discount because you know I, I wouldn't tell him a discount, but like if, if I think they're undervaluing him, um, I th- I actually think it might be an opportunity to buy from someone who is scared. Um, but I don't know. I think I think if you've got a four dollar J Rod, you're probably not doing anything with him. You probably were thinking like, eh, if I get value from him this year, great. If I don't, I don't. And I don't think this has a huge impact on how much I expect to get from him next year. Um, in terms of playing time. I, it does it does cause me to be a little bit cautious about like it didn't impact him last year is the second time the same as the first how much of this is like does he have like a weakness in there like I almost hope that they find out that like oh it turns out there was something we missed and it didn't totally heal and now we're gonna do surgery and really fix it and it's gonna keep him out through camp next year and maybe he's late to start the season but we've got this like. I'd almost rather hear that, like especially as you know, living in Seattle and looking forward to being able to see this guy play every day for for the foreseeable future. Like, fix this, <laughs> fix it now, get it right, because um, it does make me nervous. The other thing I was going to say, and I don't know that we specifically mentioned this aspect when we talked. We've talked a couple times about prospects this year. Is that not only are you not getting, you know, the, op- the necessarily the chance anybody that's not on the player pool is just not going to play at all in real games, but Another side component of that is for the for the prospect towns out there. Yes, they 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 these guys are coveted because they are top prospects. But I feel like sometimes they're also coveted because there's all those highlights of them mashing in the minor leagues, and then with these gaudy video game numbers in the minor leagues, we're not going to get that this year, right? There aren't going to be any split squad uh, alternate site game stats this year you're not going to see him hitting or not in him in this case because he's hurt but any of these other prospects you're not going to get any of those numbers that really drive that hype up um it's just not going to be there so i i think that affects your ability to flip some of these guys too where not only you're not getting production from them this year but you're also not getting as much hype i don't think and, and and be able to flip them to somebody who's rebuilding i'm super excited to see what uh what happens with prospect lists in the off season this year? Cause these guys aren't going to play in games in general. Scouts are not being allowed to go into the, like the practices and stuff. So they're not going to see them except for clips that get shared out. Um, and so I think it's going to be really interesting to see like, you know, someone like a, uh, a Keith Law who's got a lot of connections in the industry and is going to be able to talk to guys like who moves around in his rankings and how does that differ from someone who um, something like baseball prospectus where they tend to scout stats a little bit more and they're looking at performance a little bit more versus baseball America where it's more about the, the traditional scouting and like I'm, I'm just really fascinated to see you know one of the things that, that bothers me about the scout industry right now um, or the prospect industry right now is like there's so much consensus and when there's that much consensus like there's nothing interesting it's like people have asked me before who's who's your favorite prospect writer like who's who do you really follow for that and like I don't know there's a bunch I do there's a bunch I like um, there's so much overlap between them though that at times it's like doesn't matter. Just pick one you like, and it's gonna be fine. Like I'm super interested to see where they're different uh, this coming season because I think you're gonna have an opportunity to see some movement. Right. I, I think a lot of those lists are just gonna be stagnant, right? Like I mean, whatever their opinions were going into this year, are probably not gonna move off of that too much going into next year. That's probably true. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 imperfect information, right? We have it all all around this year, so we'll yeah. see so how the, it plays out. 
the other two outfield prospects that I wanted to, to, to mention are guys that are further away. And as we're talking about this, um, I'm sort of wondering if guys like this are a particularly good buy right now. And the two names that I have are, are George Valera with the Indians and Trevor Larnock with the, the Twins. And the thing that I think is interesting, so first of all, Larnock I think is just a totally solid hitter who's going to be very good. I don't think he's going to be a star, but I think he's going to be a really solid player, and I think he's a good buy. Um Valera has the 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 potential. Um, this, is a, this is a terrible comp to throw on him because it's and it's not a talent comp. It's a it's a trajectory comp. But uh, Juan Soto, where Soto was a guy who like some people really liked him, but he was never he wasn't like the number one prospect in baseball, and he almost never became the number one prospect in baseball because he moved so quickly that by the time he would have been the number one prospect in baseball, he was actually a really good outfielder for the Nats. Um, I think Valera could be on a similar trajectory where by the time the scouts catch up to how good he could be, he could already be that good for the for the Indians, uh, who won't be the Indians by then, which will be fantastic. Um, but uh, so those two guys are really interesting. And it's making, as I was thinking about them, I was thinking about like these guys who are in like A ball or would have been, maybe been in double A this year. Are these guys who are going to, in their camps get exposure to the same type of talent they would have gotten exposure to in the minors, develop similarly to how they would have otherwise, get more exposure to major league coaching. And like all of a sudden you've got your double A and your triple A and your major league coaches all in the same place if you want them there. Um, and are, are there going to be opportunities and pairing this with what Justin said about those lists being stagnant? Is there an opportunity now to look at some of those guys who are in the bottom half of a top 100, just outside a top 100, who would have been in a high A or would have been in double A this year, who are the kind of guys you would have thought, hey, with the right development and the right hype around them, might have been top 20 or 25 guys like a Valera next year, and and get in on them now. Um, and the challenge is, as we've talked about a lot, there isn't a lot of room on a roster this year for those prospects. But like, I wonder if there's a unique, a unique opportunity to buy low on those kinds of guys who actually might be hurt less by the weird year because they still get the kind of they get closer to what they would have experienced in development than a guy who should have been in AAA or getting a cup of coffee. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but it seems like there's an opportunity to look at some of those guys who are maybe like 2021, 2022 ETAs, um, or even maybe even further out, who uh, you losing a year of hype. Like you may be buying in, and it may have been that this is the terrible year, and they lose the year of everybody realizing they're not actually good. But like uh, uh, Valera, a Nolan Gorman, um, he's a little bit higher on some of those lists. Um, Larnock, I think. I think I think a lot of these guys will be there after the season, and I think uh, that's sort of the time. I think that's the time yeah. frame. I think about this. I think you're on to something there, and I think there's an opportunity to if there is. There is an opportunity for development that happens because of exposure to higher level coaching than you've had before, exposure to higher level talent than you've had before in these camps. Um, but, you know, we're, one, we're going to have to track how it's reported and how what we learn, like what kind of transparency we have from those camps. But um, and, and, you know, I, I'm sure there will be teams trying to hype their players through the press like there is every year in order to make trades and whatnot. Um, but also, like, I think a lot of these guys, we brought it up in, in past episodes. I think there's going to be a prospect reset at the end of the season. Roster guys who are trade. What is that? Um, 
It's like sorry a parade. about that. <laughs> there, there might be a march down the street outside. Um, sorry about the background noise. Um, there might be a. a I, I think there will be a prospect reset at the end of the season. I think there only isn't a prospect reset if you have a couple teams in your league that decide this is a weird year, forget it, and they just go for like eight prospects, uh, eight or nine prospect auctions in uh, the first week of the season, right? And, and and you know if someone wants to do that, that's fine. They, they're that's asking a lot uh, of a rebuild, and I think it's not necessarily the right way to rebuild. But some some people like doing that. Um, but if you don't have a team doing that, and you have like everyone sort of trying to take the most advantage of a high variance season that they can, um, I think you you're patient and you wait until October, November. Well, I mean, I guess you can't really uh, start auctions then, but. You wait a little bit and you and you start like thinking about how you approach it going into uh, the twenty twenty one auction draft because I think I think there will be value then I think there will be the stuff we said about Julio Rodriguez I think is a writ large thing like not a lot of hype uh, hype is going to maybe be overall like sort of depressed and um, a lot of people are going to be like. I can't keep this eleven dollar uh, guy that I really thought was going to be a really fun thirteen dollar outfielder for me next year, um, because I need the games now. Yeah, I think I, I think the, and I'm going to save this note for us to do an episode uh, around September twenty second. I'm going to say is when we should do it uh, because I think that's the point. I think September, yeah, that's like, right. that's late right. September is the point at which you should be able to say, I no longer need to roster 37 major league players because the guys who have opted out have opted out. I know who's around. I'm only filling out games. I can I can shrink down. I don't, I don't, there's not as much variability in that last week. Uh, and you'll have an opportunity, I think, to buy in on Valera, Larnock, uh, Jordan Groshans is another name of a guy who I think would have would have blown up this year and, 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 and also now might track, not. Just track like what kind of players get released during the season. Yeah, and start and start uh, somebody who you know if somebody's not on a thirty day, not up to the thirty day count where they can be restarted by the original team. There's an opportunity to get value there because yeah. that team has uh, extra built in money due to the cap penalty to bid right. So you might be able to find someone in that way. Yeah. Let's talk about it in September. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Dude, the one other quick thing I want to add to, though, is is to follow up on Chad's point, is this may also be a great time to trade for those guys because we've been harping on how much you probably shouldn't be paying for some of these faraway ETA prospects because of these roster constraints this year. But if you find yourself in a position where you're ready to just pull the plug on 2020, you're going to get these guys for a lot cheaper than you would in a normal year. Um, so this might be a good time to, if, if a guy like uh, Valera is owned in your league, this might be the year to, to go out and acquire them for a price that's a lot better than it would be otherwise. So um, that's the only small little pushback I'd have like that to reinforce the point that you're making, Chad, that this might be the best buying time for some of these guys, either trading now or, as you guys said, picking them up cheaply in, in auctions later in the year. Yeah, it'll it'll be really interesting to see how I mean, with the short like it's only four weeks of the season before four and a half weeks of the season until the trade deadline. So yeah, yeah, you know uh, there is opportunity if you want to think of it that way. There's opportunity both ways. This is th- this season is going to be it's just a race, right? It's just a sprint. Yeah, it's a sprint. <laughs> it's a ridiculous. No sprint. time to to think about anything. Just yeah. go. <laughs> and so like in a sense, you could just like you might want to map out your. It's like a like a football team that's that has their first 10 plays already drawn up before the game starts right like 
you may already know what your play is on August 15th. You may already say, like, it doesn't matter what place I'm in. I'm moving my top three guys or I'm moving my top two prospects because you just have to make those choices sort of blindly now and and trust trust that you will be putting yourself in the best possible position or, like, map out two different scenarios and, and start thinking about who you'd want to acquire if you're selling, who do you want to acquire if you're buying. Um, I think you, you just want to get out in front of that because like you said, there's not going to be time to think about it once you're in the season, right? It's going to be, it's going to be like watching the auction draft tick down 15, 14, 13. It's like, you got to move. You got to move. Yeah. Um, I think outfield was probably one of the more interesting positions we've covered. Um, we have one more position to go relief pitchers. Maybe that's a little less interesting. Um, but I think we should still do it some justice and, and cover that with the next episode. Um, probably won't be as long as this one, but we say that every time and it ends up being long. So (laughs) we should just stop making any comments about the length of any episode we're going to do. So um, we're going to wrap this one up. Thank you as always for listening and we will catch you guys next time.